John Harris, longtime executive director of the Tennessee Firearms Association, and country music artist John Rich join this very special episode to lend their enthusiasm in the fight against pending red flag laws and what can be done to stop further infringements on your liberties. Red flag down, baby. My name is Kevin Cookagee, and with my good friend Gary Humble, this is the Freedom Matters Podcast. Oh, yes. Is this is this Steve Winwood again or no? No, no. 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 So wait, hang on. Just give me a second. Give me a second. Uh, you know, I'm nervous now because we, we now have right. a country superstar on who's going to think it's I'm stupid because I'm, I'm not going to. Not really. Country. I'm going to get it. No, I know it's not country. This is the end of the innocence. Yes. I, I know that. All right. Good. Oh, gosh, come on, Gary. Oh, well, listen to the vocal. What? Is that Don Henley? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. The the. I just need to hear the voice. Unmistakable voice. Okay, but who else is playing on this song? I don't know, man. I, Who's I look, playing piano? Who's that sound like? I got the vocalist in the song. That's enough. Yeah, but this was a featured artist who's playing piano on this song. I don't recall. Sorry. <sighs> Bruce Hornsby. Okay. So, Gary, I know we have a couple of special... Two, week, two weeks in a row, Just I got the song and the... Artist, correct? You did. Okay. You got the artist by the time he started singing. But you did get in his very first verse, which was great. Okay. But I, I know we've got some very special guests on the program, Gary. But before we introduce them, I want to draw your attention to why I selected this music today. <clears throat> first, anecdotally, this when I love this song. It's actually quite prophetic because when Don Henley and what he intended his lyrics to refer to, um, in part, is negatively about Ronald Reagan. Um, this was written <clears throat> right after about the time of the Iran-Contra affair. Okay. So he uses these lyrics about a tired old man be elected king. Um, so Henley didn't like Reagan. He thought he was old, dishonest, and protected by lawyers during the Iran-Contra affair. But actually, if you read the lyrics and listen to them in light of the current resident of the White House, listen to this. Oh, beautiful for spacious skies. Now those skies are threatening. They're beating plowshares into swords. Hello, Ukraine. <laughs> for this tired old man that we elected, selected king. Armchair warriors often fail, and we've been poisoned by these fairy tales. Right? Wow. What, what do we get from Washington every day? The lawyers clean up all details since daddy had to lie. Hello, Burisma, Biden, the whole yep. thing, right? Hunter. <clears throat> So that's perhaps they did not recognize that they were writing this song for a future future generation. Of the White House. That's what I think yeah. which is amazing, right? He intended it for Reagan, but actually it's much more fitting to Biden. So but the other reason, Gary, I selected this song is because despite my love for the Eagles um, and great admiration of Don Henley as an artist, like practically practically all of Hollywood, he's what um, the communists always refer to as useful idiots, right? Because they <clears throat> they get behind the, the cause du jour, and the cause du jour that captured Henley's heart in this particular song, I don't know if you know about his Walden Woods project, um, which is devoted to the legacy of Henry David Thoreau and the preservation of Walden Woods, the forest around Walden Pond, and that whole environmentalist leftist movement 
I thought of this when I listened to this story. This story just came out. By the way, the line in that song is, I know a place where we can go that's still untouched by men. We'll sit and watch the clouds roll by and the tall grass waves, grass waves in the wind, right? So nature, the love of nature. However, the story that was triggered in my mind, I don't know if you saw this, this week out of Scotland, the government of Scotland actually admitted to having cut down in the last 22 years 16 million trees. Do you know why? Why? I, why? I don't know. Windmills. Oh, come on. Yes, wind farms. Now, I ask Gary, where's that little orange, commie-sympathizing Lorax when you need him? Right? Isn't the Lorax the one that speaks for the trees? Unbelievable. Right? Who speaks for the 16 million trees that have been chopped down to build these windmills? And, Gary, what does this tell us? about all of the communist propaganda from Al Gore about planting trees around the world in order to compensate, right, for the so-called carbon emissions, which are apparently bad, by the way, only when they trickle out of your car or out of my home, but when they come out in the billions of, what do they measure it, cubic feet or um, gallons out of John Kerry's, well, not his private jet, right, the private jet that he flies on that apparently he doesn't own, right, as he goes all over the world to lecture us about planting trees— they never care, do they, about the object that they're pretending to care about. Thomas Sowell had a word for this, and I'll leave it with this, <clears throat> because I think it, it, it really effectively captures what we're talking about. All of these things, whether it's the forest, whether it's um, you know, environmentalism, whether it's saying car- carbon emissions are bad, it's always a mascot. Thomas Sowell said that it was a mascot that was intended to symbolize something that makes your audience feel good. Right. Right. But it's never the mascot or the audience that they care about, right? Trees, like electric vehicles, transgender, and every other ism are not the object. They're merely tools for taking away your liberty. No, that's a great opening because we're going to talk today a little bit about gun control, which, as you know, is, is gun control, are these conversations really about safety? Is that what it's really about? Of is course, that what we're really doing not. here? You know? Um, we know what the left's agenda really is. And so I- I'm really excited to have two guests on the show today, um, two great Tennesseans uh, that, as of late, one for, for years, I think we all have, and uh, and then another has been incredibly vocal on protecting our Second Amendment rights here in Tennessee, and that's Mr. John Harris, uh, director of the Tennessee Firearms Association. And then we have a special guest with us today, Mr. John Rich. Uh, here out of Nashville, who has been um, incredibly helpful and vocal uh, lately and, and has partnered, by the way, I believe, with the Tennessee Farm Association in a recent campaign called Red Flag Down. So, gentlemen, welcome both of you to the show. We're very fortunate and blessed to have you on today. Hey, thanks for having me on. Good to be with you. Even while you're traveling, by the way, making making time for the Second Amendment. Love it. Nothing, Nothing's too important for the Constitution. Well, I'm doing what I love to do. I'm out playing music uh, in Nevada with Big Kenny and Cowboy Troy. And, uh, you know, not a day goes by that I don't realize that the pursuit of happiness, which is what I'm doing and always have done, the pursuit of happiness uh, as recognized by an inalienable right uh, makes America the only country in the history of countries to have something like that. And how do we keep our right to pursue happiness intact? How do we, how do we keep tyranny from ever taking that away from us? 
And the Second Amendment is one of those most important things that our country instituted by the founding fathers to make sure that every American always had the right to life, liberty and the pursuit of happiness. The one, coincidentally, which the founders wrote shall not be infringed. So uh, seems they thought that was a rather important one. Okay, so we just question real quick up front. We've got two Johns on the show, <laughs> so we've got to call one of you something else. <laughs> so, uh, call me, uh, call me Jr. That'll work. Jr. Like it. All right. So, so John, I just sort of want to get a lay of the land from you as we start this discussion because um, you know you and Jr. have sort of come out with red flag down. As part of that, I know the Firearms Association has gotten now a lot of legislators on record. I'm, I'm seeing videos coming out um, talking about the proposed special session coming up. We're, we're nearing August, which is why I want to have this conversation again. We want to continue to put these things in front of Tennesseans and uh, put pressure on our legislature and our governor, by the way, which I think should not be calling the special session at all. Uh, I'm sure we'll talk about that a little bit. But, John, tell us where, where you see us being in this conversation as of today as of today it's it's pretty clear that at least the republican members or most of the republican members of the general assembly are telling their constituents that they do not support the red flag concept but at the same time we have clear evidence we've got published evidence in some instances but clear evidence in others that there's a lot of pressure on the legislature come the August special session to what one particular House member keeps telling people is we've got to do something. So now what's brewing the is we may be able to fend off, at least for the time being, a red flag law. But we're looking at laws that will potentially you know, prohibit people who are on certain prescription drugs from being able to possess their own guns. We're looking at proposals that would make it a crime where you, the victim of a crime, could be prosecuted if a gun was stolen out of your vehicle and that could easily be extended to your home. We're concerned about proposals that might make individuals who have guns stolen from their possession uh, civilly liable if someone gets hurt. So there's a spectrum. And, And I've heard as many as 10 to 12 different bills are being discussed by a small collective of legislators and the governor, and that most of the legislators, at least the ones we're talking with, are being uh, excluded from those conversations. So they're going to find out uh, at the last minute, basically, like we will, what's actually going to get proposed. And it's going to be much like what happens in other special sessions, is some collective group is going to put a package together and then it's going to be choreographed. They're going to throw it out there. And in a span of three to four days, they're potentially going to pass something. And so the big question is going to be, if it's not the governor's red flag law, and we were told just today, as a matter of fact, that the governor is, is, and his staff are working on somewhere between 10 to 12 bills, not just a single red flag law, but a package of bills. And if they're coming from our governor, you can you can bet there's one common denominator and they're all going to be some form of gun control. Right. Isn't that interesting, Gary, that 10 to 12 potential pieces of legislation coming from the governor uh, to infringe upon our Second Amendment rights, but nothing like that when COVID was the issue. Right. Where were the 10 or 12 
laws to protect our liberties. Oh, no, no, no. It's too dangerous to have a special session for 20 months. Well, in fact, so back in when we had that special session in October of 21, just as a reminder, it was the Tennessee General Assembly. It was the legislators that called themselves into session. Uh, John, correct me if I'm wrong, if I remember right, for only the third time in the state's history had the General Assembly called themselves into session because the governor flat out refused to do so uh, in terms of protecting jobs and everything uh, for the shot. However, the governor did call a special session the week prior to pave the way to hand forward a billion dollars. Oh, yeah, of course. But, you the, know, the important whatever. things. Uh, so there, there's a lot to talk about. JR, what, you know, so you're, I mean, you're out doing the, doing the country thing. You're, you're in the midst of all of these people that, you know, in country music, I think that have varying opinions on this issue. And I, I just think it's sort of interesting that in the midst of this red flag issue, we now have this kind of Jason Aldean song that came up, which, you know, from the left perspective, several connotations, whether it be racism or whatever, but everybody's mad that he's talking about guns and using guns to protect his hometown. How dare Mr. Aldean write a song talking about using guns to protect his family and those that he loves in a small town? What's the blowback uh, amongst folks that you're associated with? What do you just speak to that for a bit? Well, every artist that I've talked to, which a lot of us started texting each other and calling each other like, are you watching this? You know, you seeing what's happening? I mean, CMT kicks this video off. You know, what's interesting about that is CMT added that video back in May, the exact same video, exact same song. They didn't have a problem with it then, but they got a problem with it now in July. So that's, that's kind of suspect as to how that worked out. But I brought up this point to several people. I said, can you name one small town in America that's been attacked by Antifa. Is there one town you can name? One small town? The answer is, of course not. No. I can't think of well, one. why is that? You'd think a small town would be easier for a group like Antifa to go after and burn down and, you know, go out there where all the gun toting capitalists are hanging out. We're going to go teach them a lesson. Even Antifa is smart enough to not do that. <laughs> I mean, they, they know that we actually will protect our families. We back up the police. We, we love our flag. We love our military. And they know we're, we're serious about it. So they don't even try it. The only places where it goes down are in big cities that are run by people who agree with the protesters and the, and the violence that's going on out in the street. I mean, Aldine hit the nail on the head with it. Um, <clears throat> the truth is a, the truth is quite an aggravator to the left. You know, I, we're talking about red flag laws and those things today. It's interesting to me that, uh, for instance, the state of Illinois has an active red flag law and there's more people getting killed right. with guns in Illinois than anywhere in the United States. I mean, if you were going to call in a red flag law, you'd have to call it in on the whole city of Chicago, basically. I mean, the whole place is. We see it every day, the weekend body counts. We, I think we've just gotten used to it. What a terrible thing to get used to. But, but think about that for a minute. A red flag law in Illinois being pressed by hardcore uh, liberal leftists has had absolutely no effect, none. And I think to, to John Harris's point and the TFA, instead of taking guns out of the hands of of law-abiding people who somebody 
somebody has a, a problem with and they call them in and they get their guns taken away. Why don't you take the dangerous people off the street? Uh, and, you know, I, I know that poll got ran and it was over 80 percent of Tennesseans said, well, hell yeah. I mean, that's how you fix it. Right. God never taught anybody by itself. You know, so it, I think the song back to Aldine's song, it hits at a at, at a very poignant time. I think uh, country music in its history has had moments, <clears throat> excuse me, moments like this. Merle Haggard, uh, when you're when you're talking down my country, son, you're walking on the fight inside of me. And, you know, there's there's a lot of songs that have cropped up that were populist songs that really made a statement. And I think that's one of these songs. Amen to that. It's time for it. I want to go back to something that John Harris said about one of these, one of the proposed pieces of legislation. Can you make sure I heard it right, John? You said that the liability would be enforced upon the person who has a gun stolen from him and used in a crime. Did I hear you correctly? Yeah, there's news reports out. There was a bill running by a Democrat, Caleb Hemmer from Nashville, yep. that had as its purpose making it a criminal offense for someone who leaves a gun in a vehicle and then that weapon is stolen. And so not only did the, does the person get victimized by the thief, but they're going to be victimized by the system by being prosecuted for allowing the weapon to be stolen. Arcan and, and then what happened was, uh, Representative Jeremy Faison comes on board and he goes, and he's a Republican. And he goes, Hey, I like this idea. Let me help you pass it. So now you've got Jeremy Faison, Sam Whitson, Mark White, and all John Gillespie, suspects. all Republicans, yep. all House members standing there going, Yeah, we like this idea of making it a crime. The, the next logical step is because that's not going to solve the problem is that you make the gun owner civilly liable for any harm or damage that's done once their gun is stolen. Right. And so obviously it's a brilliant, and I say in air quotes, it's a brilliant plan by the left, right, to get, it's another way of violating our Second Amendment rights is to make innocent law-abiding citizens responsible for a crime committed by the person that pulls the trigger. That's right. And isn't it interesting that with all of these laws here again, not only does the criminal not get <laughs> laws are never uh, a, a solution to a criminal, right? The criminals don't obey the laws. The definition of a crime is someone who breaks the law. But now we're going to encourage criminals. If I'm a criminal and I know there's legislation that's going to hold the owner of the gun responsible, then I'm going to commit a further crime first by breaking into his house and stealing his gun so that I can commit a crime. Because at least in that instance, the homeowner is equally responsible and liable for the harm that comes in. If I'm a poor criminal, right, that's what I'm going to do. It's, it's outrageous that someone pro would propose such an idiot piece of legislation. It is. But, but you know, we've got just the legislature to do it. <laughs> and, and, and that's sort I, of boom. the problem is we've got Mic great drop. legislators up there. But, you know, and they're the conservatives and they're mostly the, the newer members of the legislature. But yes. there's not enough of them. And so, you know, we've got... We've got our lieutenant governor, who's apparently more interested in Instagram than the Second Amendment. And, and he comes <laughs> out and publicly says, that. I support the red flag laws. And and so that's going to force, I think, quite a few uh, of the, the Senate members, at least, that straddle the fence and want to keep the lieutenant governor happy. They're going to support these things because he supports it. Let me and and 
we ba- got to deal on- with that problem and make it too painful for them to violate our constitutional rights and pain for politicians comes in typically at negative press and election challenges. And sort of along that same vein, you were sort of talking about like the makeup of the legislature, which I wholeheartedly agree with you. And I think I think we do have some really great newer legislators, especially in the House, that are willing to stand on principle, willing to fight some of these fights. But there's very few of them. What what do you feel about the sentiment like when this I would say, man, four weeks ago I was having conversations and I kind of want to bring this up because this is this was news today. We're still Nashville, by the way, if you hadn't seen this, and I know T, uh, John, I saw TFA tweet this out today. Nashville is still making national news over the manifesto, even as of today, the manifesto that we've still not yet seen. And four weeks ago in some conversations that I had directly with legislators, I was told that the general sentiment was at the time that if August 21st rolled around and the governor did indeed call the special session and the man, at least on the House side, I don't think there's appetite for this in the Senate, but in the House, if they had not yet seen the shooter manifesto that they would call that that was sort of the the breaking point that they would immediately adjourn do you think if you read the tea leaves is is there still appetite for that you think you think there's actually a possibility that we could see that happen in the house because we only need I, one, I don't one really chamber think to do that it that's likely and and one of the reasons is in conversations and listening to statements from some legislators, you know, they talk about needing to see the manifesto, but they don't necessarily talk about the need for the public to see the manifesto. Oh yeah. And so I know from some conversations that there are members of the general assembly who have one way or another seen or had access to the content of the manifestos. And it just keeps coming up in conversations and you, you, they'll let something slip and don't mean to, but you, it'll hit you real quick that the only the way they can know that is that they've seen the documents or the contents have been reported to them. And so, mm. um, I don't think they're going to, even if the manifesto isn't released to the public, I don't think they're going to come in in August and, and just adjourn if the manifesto is not there. I think they're going to, for whatever reason, deal with this potential package, this bundle of legislation that we're not going to get to see, in my opinion, in advance of the session, where they're, they're trying to pitch out some things that could be done in a special session, even if they don't pass a red flag law. And, and we've had reported from our chapters when legislators have come in and talked across the state, because we've got about a dozen chapters that actively meet each month, that these legislators are dropping hints, either intentionally or in- mm-hmm. inadvertently, that things are being discussed and things are being considered, but yet there's no drafts being released to the public. There's no itemized bullet points being released to the public. But there are legislators, there are clearly legislators who know the inside story of what kind of bill package is being put together. Which raises one question, always when I hear that about legislators hider, hiding John, in your opinion, whom do these legislators think that they represent? That's a great question. And and the issue is they go up there representing their constituents. But when you start looking at committee assignments, chairmanships, those things, they've got to make leadership happy. 
And so they, they, they find themselves, not all of them. Some of them really don't care about that. They're up there to represent their constituents, period, and to uphold the Constitution, period. But there, we've got too many that are concerned about committee assignments, mm-hmm. what kind of power am I on the right team, so to speak. And that's why I think we have this concern that once leadership or a small designated team that leadership puts together starts putting their heads together and come up with bill proposals or concepts that's not being released to the public. I mean, if they were going to say, hey, we're not going to take up any legislation unless it's prepared and released to the public at least a week in advance of special session. It's a great point. You know, that would make me feel a little more comfortable that at least we've got the opportunity to look at, assess it, digest it, and then contact those legislators on where we are on it. But if they come into session on the 21st in the evening, pass everything automatically on first reading, because they got to go through three readings, right? have committee hearings on, the, on the, the second day of session, run the stuff through because it's choreographed, second reading, and then vote on it that night or the following, say, Wednesday, this thing will be done in 48 hours if they do it the way They've got a history of doing stuff like this. Yeah. And, and like Gary said, the, when they gave a billion dollars of taxpayer money to Ford, we didn't, we didn't see the bill as citizens before that happened. We were told it had been negotiated mm-hmm. and it was going to be done. And going into session was just a formality to satisfy the constitutional requirements yep. for bill passage. And that's a fantastic point uh, on this upcoming special session is you're, you're right. We're not going to see the bill. And as you say, if they don't immediately adjourn, I think the process is going to play out exactly like that. It'll be a 48-hour deal and done. And this is the same issue we see during regular session with these caption bills. And that the, the process by which a bill gets amended overnight, the next day it's in committee. Not only has the public not been able to see that bill and make comment to their legislators, the legislators who are voting on the bill in committee are seeing the bill for the first time, uh, some of them. So, yeah, it's it's a horrible process. And this is, you know, we should not – I don't even think we should be debating this issue. It's a, it's a very simple constitutional no. But if we are going to debate the issue, good grief, it should be during a general session where it's going through committee and where – citizens are able to testify and talk about the bill um jr i consider you like you know you're in nashville i think most people consider you which is probably why all the time on twitter someone is saying when's john rich running for governor but you it's that's just out there uh but you're a man of the people you know and man i think i think you speak for so many tennesseans i think you know you've got a place in downtown nashville what are folks down down they know you they know what you stand for i think most people know what you stand for by now what's the general sentiment you're feeling about this i mean cuz i i'm i'm still i'm still shocked that the governor is pressing forward with this special session and you've you've spoken directly to the governor at least at least in the in the public sphere i'm i'm pretty sure he knows where you stand what do you what are you seeing from people uh, in general on this? Well, first of all, I've spoken to the governor in his office. I mean, sitting right right there at him uh, on when it was talking about pornography in the in the school libraries. 
that's a whole other discussion. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we have been eyeball to eyeball a couple of times. Here's what conservatives, not only in Tennessee, but around the United States, have come to realize to their dismay over the past few years here. And that is that the uniparty is a real thing. Mm-hmm. Just because somebody says they're something, when it gets down to the brass tacks, they get in those back rooms and these uh, sneaky special sessions behind closed doors, which is exactly what we're talking about, trying to slip something over on the people, not representing the will of their constituents. They're realizing that there's very few real McCoys left that they can really count on. And our governor is now proving he's not he's not the real McCoy. Mm-hmm. He's not what he told us that he was. So uh, let me give you an example. Um, about a month ago, I was uh, singing at a, a child trafficking awareness event, and uh, Senator Jack Johnson was there. Well, when I got through singing, I was out in the parking lot loading my guitar back up. The senator came across the parking lot. Hey, John, great job, man. You know, good to see you again. And I looked at him and I said, Senator, tell me about that audio that I heard on you talking about how we got to rebrand red flag laws if they're ever going to get passed in Tennessee. We got to we got to rebrand it. I said, do you think you can rebrand it well enough that a guy like me would go for it? (laughs) He didn't like that question, but here's what he said. Thank you. Yes. And I want to hear his response. Yeah, he said it was what I said was totally taken out of context. Of and course. On and on. And I promise you, John, there's no way I'm ever going to support anything that resembles a red flag law in any way, shape, or form. I said, okay. I said, then I want you to shake my hand right in this parking lot in front of all these people, because there was a crowd gathered around at that <clears> point. <throat> and, and you promise me with a handshake that you will not vote for any legislation that infringes on the second amendment in any way, shape or form. He goes, you got it. And he shook my hand. Well, I immediately went to Twitter and I said, just shook hands with at sin Johnson. I think that's his handle. Yep. And he promised me that no way, shape or form. He would, he's going to push back against governor Lee's red flag law proposals and, and on and on. And so here's the thing. These guys got a lot of bravery when they do it in the back room. But when they got to face you eyeball to eyeball, standing there in a parking lot in Tennessee and have to answer the question, they always retreat. Why is that important Mm -hmm. to know? Because what John Harris is saying is that these legislators need to know that if they support legislation that infringes on the Second Amendment rights of Tennesseans, I, along with many others, We'll collect the money and the funding, and we will go out and find other people in their districts to run against them. Listen, I got a guitar. I got a tour bus. Happy to show up in your <laughs> county and sing on your stage and raise money and awareness for your campaign. They all need to know that the clock is ticking and we're watching them and they won't be reelected if they support it. To me, that's that's the, the best possible thing we can do. And that's why Red Flag Down is such a big deal. That whole campaign that's about to roll out is strictly an information campaign. It is to let Tennesseans know what is at stake, what's being discussed behind closed doors without them being able to hear or see what's happening. It's disclosure. It puts light onto the subject that that our governor and others in legislation are trying to keep hidden from them. Yep. And close that point with 
you mentioned earlier, which I'm I'm thankful for. I appreciate. And there's 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 a few issues that I can tell really hit your hot buttons, and one of them was the the books in the schools and the you you you've been pretty vocal on that. But you know you you don't speak out on every issue. So what was it specifically that caused you to partner up with with TFA and really come out front with Red Flag Down? Well, so here's how red flag laws can and will be abused. If your next door neighbor, let's say you've got a Trump sign in your yard and they got a Biden sign in their yard. Okay. That's your neighbor. And that neighbor decides that they just don't like you at all. And they want to call in a red flag on you and say, Hey, I heard my next door neighbor fighting or yelling or shouting, or I saw them, you know, whatever. They made a post on Twitter or something that I think this person might be a dangerous person. I'm calling in a red flag. Well, guess what can happen after that? There can be uh, police show up at your house, come into your house, take your guns. You got to go be mentally evaluated by the state and prove to them that you're innocent and that you're not crazy to get your guns back. That will happen. There's a story in Maryland from not too long ago where a red flag law was called in on a man and the police showed up with their guns in hand, came in the man's house. He grabbed his gun. He didn't know what was going on. And by the time it was all over, that man was shot to death in his own home. You can go find those stories over and over and over. So why would we want that in the state of Tennessee? Well, nobody does. And that's why they're doing it in secret. The only way I think that we keep them from supporting something like this is a loud, wide open information campaign, which is what Red Flag Down is and it's going to be. So every single Tennessean can call their representative, email their representative, raise total hell about what they see coming where that representative knows, OK, if I if I push the green button and vote yes for this, I'm out. And if I'm not out, I'm going to have to fight bloody murder to keep my seat because they're going to run somebody against me. JR is my kind of people, Kevin. Yeah, I would say, and and Gary and I have talked about this, and we've seen what uh, Jack Johnson has done in the past with an issue like this. So Jack may, in fact, vote against legislation, but you can be darn sure that before he votes against it, he's going to make sure that it's going to pass, right? He will make sure that it has all the votes that it needs so that he as an individual can say, I voted against it. I'm for your Second Amendment rights. When behind the scenes, and he's not the only one, but we know that this is how they work. Yeah, it's right? not unique to Jack. It's, yeah, That's it's my not, fear. It's not particular to Jack, but this is how they work, right? Especially if someone has been called out very publicly, uh, as John Rich did to Jack in this instance, and there was public around the parking lot. Jack may now feel the pressure, which is great. We appreciate that, John. But now he's going to use a different means to get behind the legislation that's still against the Second Amendment. Which means what, though? Which means that we need citizens across the state, influencers, who, influencers whoever you are, need to be putting this kind of pressure on 132 yes, legislators. every right? single one of them. You, you, can in, you cannot depend on leadership to make sure that they're going to, quote unquote, do the right thing mm-hmm. or enact, uh, you know, protect the Constitution. So I think I appreciate Red Flag Down because what it is going to allow people to do is engage as much as we possibly can to put every single legislator on the spot. Mm-hmm. And uh, we need to we need to make sure and Tennessee stands is going to make dang sure that people know what the bill says and they know exactly how every person voted. John, I. 
I, I want you to also, for our audience, I mean, y'all have done, man, so much work. Tell me again, I know it's like 20 years or something. How long has Tennessee Firearms Association been around? 1995. I've been serving as a, as a volunteer executive director for almost three decades. Incredible. Um, so, you know, a lot. I, I want to mention this because a lot of people talk about Tennessee and how great it is because we have constitutional carry and we don't. <laughs> and I, and I, I just want you to sort of explain why we don't. And, and forgive me if, if I get this terminology wrong, correct me. Like, you know, I think our law currently is some sort of an affirmative defense or some, something, whatever that terminology is that really uh, does not give us a right to carry. It's sort of the opposite. It's sort of if we get caught carrying or using our firearm for self-defense, the law simply gives us a, a certain defense in the case that we use that firearm for self-defense, but not actually a, a constitutional right to carry. I know that's sort of part of the issue. There are other reasons why we don't have constitutional carry, but can you just go into that a little bit? Absolutely. The, the, the terminology constitutional carry, when I started doing this in 95, didn't even exist. Back then, we called it Vermont carry. And the reason was, of all the 50 states, Vermont is the only one that had in its constitution since the 1700s that citizens had the right to carry weapons for defensive or lawful purposes. Over the years, Vermont carry has, has as other states have adopted it, has developed into what we refer to now as constitutional carry. But constitutional carry is a statutory scheme where it is simply not a crime to carry a firearm for lawful purposes, including self-defense, but not limited to self-defense. So Tennessee's never had that, never. When I was participating uh, as an amicus counsel in the Bruin decision that came down last year in the Supreme Court, we had oral arguments in November of 2021 one of the Supreme Court justices asked the attorneys trying to defend the New York law that was struck down, ultimately, give us an example of a state that's got a long history, because they were looking at context and history of a state that has a long history of oppressing the right of citizens to carry firearms for lawful purposes. The first state mentioned by the attorneys defending the state of New York was Tennessee. I mean, we've got laws that we've identified as early as 1801 that have those prohibitions in them. Right. So what Tennessee has is a, is a structure that says it's a crime to carry with the intent to go armed anywhere at any time, including your own home and including your own property. And then what Tennessee does is they've got a, the, the next numerical statute says these are defenses to that crime. And it's things like you're in your home, you're on your property, you're at your place of business, you've got a handgun permit, and there are others. The problem is, under criminal procedure in Tennessee, the crime is carrying with intent to go armed. So if an officer sees you carrying in public, they have probable cause to conclude a crime is being committed. They therefore have probable cause to stop you, detain you, question you, ask you if you have a permit, put you through the ringer. And they can evaluate the strength or viability of an affirmative defense, such as I've got a permit, 
but they're not required to. So the officer can ignore the affirmative defenses, charge you, make you go to court, show it to a DA, or the DA can ignore it because they're not required to assess it. Right. Affirmatively. And, and ultimately, the only time that fact, an affirmative defense, has to be considered and evaluated is in front of a jury. Now, that's the Tennessee structure, and that's why Tennessee doesn't have constitutional carry. That's why we don't have the ability to exercise our rights as protected by the Constitution and the Second Amendment. So that's all still on the books. It's all it's been on the books for decades, yet we we recently, you know, amended the law such that the statement nationally was that the Billy administration recently got, you know, constitutional carry passed. But even even that amended language was simply that someone could carry a handgun specifically without a permit, but the law that passed, you had to be 21 and over, not the age of majority, which, again, questions whether or not that's constitutional. And again, just really quickly, that recently was adjudicated in court, and that law was struck down as unconstitutional. Can you talk about that quickly? Sure. Right after, and you're exactly correct, Bill Lee himself called the 2021 legislation constitutional carry. Evidence that he doesn't even understand the structure. Which should be permitless carry, right? It is permitless carry is what it is. And it's not even true permitless carry. It's an affirmative defense that if you meet seven conditions, you can carry without a permit in some places. Same structure that's already on the books, right? Yeah, basically. Um, So (laughs) right after that law was was enacted in 2021, it, it had a restriction that said those under the age of 21 could not exercise that defense. They couldn't rely on the defense. And the law is clear, both state and federal, that people from the age of 18 and up can lawfully possess handguns. They can lawfully purchase handguns in a casual sale. They cannot purchase them from a federally licensed dealer, but they can lawfully purchase, possess, own, inherit handguns. And so A lawsuit was filed within weeks of the law going into effect in East Tennessee in a case called Beeler, B-E-E-L-E-R. And they challenged that lawsuit or that statute by saying it's unconstitutional. It violates the Second Amendment. And the state of Tennessee literally fought that case and was trying to get it dismissed until the Supreme Court decided the, the Bruin decision in June of 2022. And then within a few months after that, Notice was given to the court that the parties were negotiating a settlement. And then in January of 2023, the parties actually, and when I say the parties, I'm I'm talking about the state of Tennessee and then the individual plaintiffs filed a proposed settlement with the court that said the state stipulates that the restriction on 18 to 20 year olds that Lee put in his legislation violates the Second Amendment, violates the 14th Amendment, and constitutes a federal civil rights violation. Now, that settlement became final in March of 2023, and it remains subject to federal court oversight for purposes of enforcing it. But Hmm. the Attorney General has stipulated in the settlement that Bill Lee's law and the one that all of these Republicans voted for is a clear Second Amendment violation. Hmm. Which, which, by the way, Kevin, is the new attorney general, 
thankfully. Yeah, Scrimetti. Scrimetti. Because I don't know that Slatery would have necessarily no. laid down the sword on this issue and acknowledged that the law was unconstitutional. So I just want to say thank you uh, to our new attorney general who actually acknowledged that the law was unconstitutional and and was willing to lay down the sword on that case. He was the game changer in that case. Yeah, no doubt. It's great to know. Hey, so Jr., I've got your your first first question then of your potential future gubernatorial <laughs> candidacy. No pressure, right? <laughs> if you were governor, Jr., would would you support constitutional carry in this state and work with the legislature to try to make sure that Tennesseans have a right, a Second Amendment right, fully to carry uh, a handgun for self defense constitutionally here in the state of Tennessee? Well, I think that question answers itself. I mean, 100 percent. I mean, it, it's pretty pathetic that the state of New York uses Tennessee as an example mm. of why they take guns away from people. I mean, that's how bad it is in our state. I guarantee you, I didn't know that till just right now that New York had used us as, as an example. And, you know, and in that, how many other things are going on in our state right now that are completely out of whack that need to be fixed? A lot. I can tell you that when you went back to the filth that was in the, that's still in our schools in Tennessee and, and the books with the, with the kids having access to this stuff, you know, I, I gave a speech in front of the legislation in front of a couple of big committees from, from the legislators. Yep, I saw it. And it, and it spurred, yeah. And it spurred the bill 1944, which you know of very well. Yep. And then as it went through the other committees and Bill Lee got a hold of it, they defanged it, took all the teeth out of it where there was no repercussions for anybody. Yep. So, What's the point in having it if it's not going to hold anybody to account? So I thought, well, put that one in the loss column. I gave gave it my best. A lot of people worked on that. Uh, it, it's a loss. But guess what happened? The the speech that I gave, uh, I got asked to send the transcript to the attorney general in Texas and Louisiana. They wanted to read what I said because what I said in that, and this is obviously we're, we're straying off a little bit. But no, that's fine. It's good. Point. It's kind of the point that – in, in this little five-minute speech I had, I said, if you read this book on a radio station, the FCC mm-hmm. would take away your license. You would not be able to broadcast. You'd be fined, kicked off the air. If you showed these images on a television station, the FCC would take you off the air. They would fine you. So if the FCC won't allow it, why are the schools allowing it? Mm-hmm. Why is the state of Tennessee allowing it? So that actually turned into a full law that passed the House and the Senate and was signed by the governor of Texas three or four weeks ago. It is now the law in Texas. They call it the FCC rule. Hmm. And now it's on the governor's desk in Louisiana. And I'm hoping it comes back to Tennessee and they look at how those states laid those things out and we finally get something done. Listen, regular Tennesseans can get things done. I'm a high school graduate. I grew up in a trailer in Texas. I was actually born in Obion County, Tennessee, lived there till I was three. I don't remember it, but, you know, out by Real Foot Lake, that's actually where I first hit the ground and then moved to Texas and then came back. And so there's nothing special with my pedigree. I just have common sense and I see a problem and I go, yeah, that can't be legal. Or, hey, Jack Johnson in the parking lot, are you really going to support a red flag law? And guess what they do? The second they have to look a constituent dead in the eye. What do they always do when they know they're on the wrong Retreat. side of the issue? What do they do? They back up. Yep. Every single time they back up. And so this red flag down initiative, th- there's a way people can donate to that. We've already raised a lot of money, but the more money we can get in to broadcast these messages on radio, 
to target social media in a huge way, to run television spots. The more we can get in, the more saturation we're going to have in this state and the more pressure that's going to put on these legislators to do the right thing. So red, redflagdown.com, Tennesseans all across the state should be supporting this effort to protect our Second Amendment. And by the way, the, the Second Amendment, which is going to protect quite a few other liberties that are going to be yeah, at stake here. Exactly. You know, we've got Catherine Austin Fitz coming back onto mm-hmm. the show uh, next week, which I'm excited about, which again, you know, this, so this is a, a, a woman who is, I think, a, an expert on what we're facing with central bank digital currency. And in her mind, you know, as, as hard as she's working against central bank digital currency, she knows that the first thing these people have to do to begin enacting these policies over the people is take away the Second Amendment. Yeah. And because and, when you think about it, you suggested it, but let's be let's finish the process. The First Amendment are all the fundamental liberties. Right. And what did our founders follow it with? Before they did anything else, right. now we're going to give you the tools to secure those liberties. Right. It is so important that people understand that the First Amendment and the Second Amendment are inescapably linked and forever linked. So the importance of protecting one and the enemy is going to destroy the second for the purpose of destroying the first. The only amendment, by the way, with a qualifier like shall not be infringed, yet we infringe it on a uh, infringe it on a daily basis. John Harris, John Rich, two patriots here in Tennessee. Fortunate to have you on here today. Thank you so much for your work, for your advocacy uh, in protecting the rights of Tennesseans. You guys be blessed onward and uh, you've got our support. Yep. yep. And thanks for giving us your time today. Really appreciate it. You got it. Thank you, guys. Redflagdown.com. Everybody go check it out. Thank you very much. Thank you, JR. You bet. Yes, sir. If you'd like to learn more about Tennessee Stands, visit TennesseeStands.org to donate, volunteer, or get more information about what we're doing to preserve liberty for the people of Tennessee. You can also follow along on all social platforms at Tennessee Stands. As Thomas Paine reminded us, those who expect to reap the blessings of freedom must, like men, undergo the fatigue of supporting it.